So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, man fans. Ollie Mann here with The Modern Man, the monthly magazine show for your ears. And here is what we have coming up for you today. And all you can do at the time is count down. It's six days till my dad dies. It's five days till my dad dies. It's four days till my dad dies. How do you manage the last few hours of your father's life? One listener's story going through the process of her dad's choice to die. Plus... You're not saying that they're dirty or disgusting. You're not saying that you don't fancy them anymore. Alex Fox examines a throat infection below the belt. And Ollie Peart gets mystic. It's all to come on this edition of The Modern Man. But first, your letters, and hello to Michael Kalonikos, who says, regarding Mr. Peart's wedding speech challenge last month, Ollie, not to toot my own horn, but I gave a brilliant best man speech. I basically ran through a list of firsts that I'd shared with the groom. First beer, first uni degree, first time he broke the law, etc. First time he broke the law, etc. That sounds like uh, you may have had some juicier material on him than one might have on other grooms. Uh, I then transitioned, he says, to the part where it was the first time he had a date with his wife. The first time he told me he was in love. Yes, I see. Uh, Then I wished the couple a life of firsts together. Nice. Uh, The whole thing was memorised. When people read off paper, Michael says, it ends up with them being sloppy, in my opinion. You're a harsh guest. I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm an avid viewer of Dragon's Den. I've seen people memorising stuff and it going very wrong. Uh, Michael concludes, I had people come up to me after and tell me it was spectacular. (laughs) I think you possibly are tooting your own horn a little bit there, Michael. Uh, But thank you for sharing your template. That's useful. Uh, Hello as well to another Mike, Mike Gilly. Uh, He says, hi, Ollie, my wife and I... Well, you'd get a round of applause for that in a wedding speech, wouldn't you? My wife and I... Uh, My wife and I have been working our way through your back catalogue and love the show. We do a lot of long drives together and The Modern Man always stimulates great conversation and although it seems weird to say it, has probably brought us closer. That's lovely to hear. Uh, We were going to wait until we caught up with the show to make a beer money contribution so we could nab an ambassadorship, but it turns out there's a fuck ton of episodes by now. (laughs) So we figured we owed you a beer quicker than we could listen. Uh, Thanks. Uh, Hopefully we can apply when we finally catch up and know which territories and concepts are still up for grabs. It's amazing how people formalise the ambassadorship process in their minds. Uh, But right now, he says, I'm listening to you guys discussing the lineup for Pod Aid. So that could be a while away. 
Yeah, indeed, that means you're listening to an episode from like 2018. Uh, you've got a while to go. In fact, it's probably going to be about three years by the time you hear this shout out. Why am I even talking to you? Uh, thank you as well to our other new beer money donors for the month. Bill McKinnon, Michael Williams, Matteo Cavalloni. Thank you so much. I know that times are tight at the moment. So if you can do what they did and pledge the price of a pint of beer each month, if you can afford to do that to help us put together this independent podcast, then please do. Secure payment links at modernmanwith2ends.co.uk slash beer. Every penny you send us goes into making this show. So if you value what we do, light stuff sometimes like last month, going to dark places at other times like today's middle feature, always open-minded, no agenda, completely independent, please chuck us a couple of quid so we can keep making this show. Monmanwith2ends.co.uk slash beer. And we will bring you more of this delicious content, which a BBC executive the other day that I was chatting to told me is apparently known, the genre is known as playful factual. I had no idea. Um, uh, a lady called Marcella on my Facebook page says it's uh, funny thinky, which is possibly less pretentious. <laughs> but anyway, if you value our funny thinky content, then please do buy us a beer. Uh, and speaking of beer, uh, just before we get going as well, a quick thank you to our sponsors for this episode, Beer 52, the UK's number one craft beer club, uh, but also genuinely my favourite. Each month they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world. Now this month it's Ireland, so that is a great one. Irish white ale, everybody. You don't just have to drink the mass-produced black stuff. And they're offering you chaps a free case of beer just for listening to this podcast. So do you want a light case? Do you want a mixed case? That's up to you. You also get a free copy of Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks each month. Also, by the way, their packaging is exceptional. Each bottle and can comes cradled by cardboard. It is a joy to behold and recycle. Uh, although I recently used my empty Beer 52 box to prop up some mattress slats on my son's bed uh, after he'd been jumping on it too hard and snapped them. It's the perfect size for that. Or else it's a very specific example from my life. But we can all get behind beer, can't we? Particularly two free extra beers just for you man fans. Because yes, if you head over to beer52.com slash modern right now and cover the meagre postage cost of 5 95 you will get your free case of beer. But because you're a man fan, they'll also throw in an extra two free craft beers just for you just for listening to this. That is 10 unique beers. You can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. It's beer52.com slash modern to claim your free case now. That's beer, the number five, the number two, dot com forward slash modern. Right, coming up on today's show, you will learn who out of our cast is an indulgent sensualist. You will learn when it's not a good idea to eat at a Tim Hortons. And you'll learn what up to 40% of women in the UK might have up their rectum. Let's go. Time for the Zeitgeist with Manscaped, your trends tested with the self-proclaimed king of the wedding speech. They're still rolling in the aisles, Ollie Pitt. Hey, Ollie, how are you doing? I'm all right. I've, I've heard you've been doing, in addition to what we're going to discuss, you've been trying something else new. You can't stop yourself. What have you been doing? I, uh, this week, have been um, trying out socks and sandals. Together. Whoa! Yeah, I know. I like it happened by accident. Of course, it did. It would have yeah, to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I just, I had to leave the house early on Saturday morning because the weather's been quite warm, hasn't it? And that, you know, so I've got quite a lot of sort of flip flops and sandals knocking around the place. But I wanted to wear trainers because it was really early. Couldn't find my trainers. Had my socks on. I was like, oh, 
I'm just going to put on some sandals. And I slipped on my, my leather sandals with my socks, left yeah. the house. And I was like, this is unbelievably comfortable. This is incredible. Yeah, but sometimes you've got to make the choice that isn't about comfort, but is about how you're seen in the world. I mean, I feel the no. same about Crocs. Mm. Crocs are comfortable, mm-hmm. but unless you're emptying the bins, there's no excuse to be wearing plastic shoes beyond a certain age. I mean, I know Justin Bieber does, but, you know, for me, I, I can't walk beyond the bins in plastic shoes. And I think <laughs> it's the same with socks and sandals. I don't know. I went out in them. I was out in them all morning. No, all I, day. Know. I, I, I know. Got, I, got, I got comments, positive, mostly. They probably just thought you had some sort of foot fungus. Oh, God. Why? No, because if you had a fun f- foot fungus, you wouldn't be wearing socks, would you? I suppose you well, would. Well, no, you would because, you, yeah, you'd want to cover up the unsightliness from people seeing it, but at the same mm. time get some air down there. Anyway, luckily, we're not here to talk about style. Uh, we're here to talk about astrology, which is something I never thought I'd say on this show. Uh, but it's thanks to uh, Manfan Sarah in Norwich, who wrote in last month, to say that an alarming amount of her friends are into astrology, and it started as a bit of a joke, she said, but now they really are into it. She wants to know, is it all BS, basically? Mm. Uh, I mean, let's start, first of all, with the, with the trend element of this. Are Sarah's friends typical? Is astrology growing? Yes, is the short answer. Because, because astrology now is sort of accessible beyond just the back pages of a newspaper. You know, it's available on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. It is everywhere. And also, one of the reasons that it seems to have picked up a bit of pace recently is because of the pandemic. I spoke to Sally Kirkman. She's like ITV This Morning astrologer go-to. Okay. She's been an astrologer right. for 30-odd for years. So I, I spoke to Sally about it and asked her what you know what she thought and, and whether she'd seen a bit of an uptick in, in people getting in touch with her because she offers readings for money. And um, she said, yeah, you know, she's getting more people getting in touch. And she thinks during the pandemic, people have wanted to sort of find what their place is in the world during all of this chaos and everything that's happening at the moment. They felt a little bit lost and disconnected. And a lot of people have turned to astrology to help them try and make sense of what's going on in their own personal lives. I mean, it's just, I'm trying to keep an open mind myself. I genuinely am. Yeah. Why? Why would the time and place and, you know, date that you were born have an impact on how you're feeling or what you're doing now? you know, 30, 40, 50 years later. It just doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, well I was I was uh, openly a, a sceptic to Sally. I said, look, you know, come on, I, I don't really, you know, believe in this stuff. I don't, I don't really follow it. Come on. So you're gonna, so you're gonna... You've built a career on this for three decades, but you can tell me on a podcast. It's all gonna... bollocks, isn't it? <laughs> it's, all, it's all bollocks. You're just taking them for a ride, aren't you? Uh, I bet and, that uh... question made the whole house of cards collapse all around her. She's like, oh, no, you've got me. You've got me by the short yeah. and curlies. Oh, no, what am I going to do now? No, I, I just, I was like, look, you know, what is it? Like, what is astrology? Because when I think of astrology, I think of horoscopes in the back of the newspaper. That is basically all I think about. Yes. And she said to me that actually astrology is is a very ancient science. She said it's like um, it actually sat side by side with astronomy. So astrology and astronomy were the same thing, you know, thousands of years ago. Yeah. So people who look through telescopes at planets out of genuine scientific curiosity about the bounds mm-hmm. of our solar system were also the kind of people that were interested in what those planets might be doing to us. Yes. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, we know that the moon affects tides, etc. Yeah, exactly. And then as 
science progressed. Exactly. As they, science progressed, there's they, all they sorts started, of people that are still thinking that. Yes, there started <laughs> to become this bit of disconnect between, uh, you know, whether or not the position of a planet at a particular time could have an effect on someone's personality. Um, but her view is it it's based on science of where the planets are and then it's just sort of as an astrologer you have to understand how to interpret that and she she followed it up by saying that if you think of astrology more like financial forecasting or weather forecasting it the idea is is that it's it's not 100% accurate but you're likely to get a better handle on what's coming when you know what's gone before can you imagine if the weatherman <laughs> on the news was like it's gonna. There's gonna be spells of showers today, so put it all on red. <laughs> Do you know what I mean that's the disconnect, isn't it? It's like yeah, Jupiter's in the ascending, but I, that has no bearing on whether I'm going to meet the love of my life. I mean, they're clearly two separate things. Well, I asked. I, I said, Sally, look, do you not feel like you've got a huge responsibility because you're essentially saying to somebody, look, you know, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what is going to happen in your life. And she said, well, no, because I'm not doing that. I'm just giving people. Uh, the the tools, if you like, to know what might be coming up and so that they can respond to it and react to it or have an understanding of why they're feeling a certain way. I mean, in fairness, I suppose the internet does make more sense of it being a trend because the, the pull-out stuff in the back of the tabloids can't account for me as a person. It doesn't know what gender I am. It doesn't know where I live. You know, all it knows is that I'm in Britain and I was born within 30 days at some point in a century. Whereas I guess at least now you could make it more bespoke, couldn't you? You could be following yeah, information for Capricorns that were born in the 1980s that live in this area. That, that at least is a bit more specific. Yeah, and I think people go to it as well just for daily affirmations, basically. So there are some really big Instagram accounts with astrologers. Uh, two of the biggest are the Astro Twins, and Charney Nicholas is another one who are really quite famous. Like uh, Charney Nicholas is the celebrity astrologer, if you like. She like does um, readings for all big celebrities on Netflix and that kind of stuff. She's got hundreds of thousands of followers. And you you mentioned it earlier about dating and how you know people might use their star signs for dating. There is a show called Cosmic Love on Amazon Prime with the Astro Twins who have one hundred twenty thousand followers on their Instagram. That is all about that. It is about them giving you a partner based on your birth chart so they give you a reading work out your birth chart and go this is the perfect person for you to to be with and it's sort of putting your trust in these astrologers to pair you up with somebody that they think is going to work and to be compatible i mean i haven't noticed that i have more friends from any particular star sign than any other Mm. but interestingly a couple of times when i found out that someone was born on the same day as me it's kind of knocked me back a bit because I've thought, hmm, we, we are actually more similar than I would like to admit, and I wonder if that's one of the reasons. But then I discount it. The comedian Gareth Gwynn was born on exactly my birthday. Mm-hmm. I've only met him twice, but both times I was like, oh, you're easy to talk to. <laughs> I just wondered whether there was a factor of that. This is the, this is the thing. I can understand why people are drawn to it. You sort of look for meaning for why things have happened. You want an explanation for it. You know, people turn to religion for that a lot of the time. But I can understand why people turn to astrology, because you don't want it to be your fault if something goes wrong. You'd like it to just be the universe's fault. OK, let's get on with the shambles then. Uh, I gave you my <laughs> date of birth. Yeah. Uh, and my place of birth. Yes. Um, and you also asked me for my time of birth, which I actually had to verify with my mum. Mm. 
so I gave I what I did so I gave these to Sally um and I asked her if she'd be able to do a reading for you okay and um well I'll just I'll just read it you and see what you think see if this relates to you okay you ready Ollie is a sun Taurus, another Earth sign like Capricorn. I'm a Capricorn, by the way. Yeah, well, that's why we get on uh, that, so well, isn't it? That's Possibly. Uh, that's good for longevity, keeping things going, and for you working together. Okay, yeah, well, we've been doing this since 2015, haven't we? You yeah. know, despite many indicators to the contrary, we've carried on. We have, yes. Taurus is the builder of the Zodiac. Persistent, determined, dogged. Am I dogged? I suppose I do pursue the things that I'm interested in in a committed way, yes. They tend to be a lovely mix of practical realism and indulgent sensualism. Yeah, that's definitely right. I'm always saying that about myself. I'm an (laughs) indulgent sensualist and I'm just a really lovely person to be around, so she's got that absolutely right. Earthy, bawdy, hands-on. Flip side is being stubborn and holding on for too long. Patient and persistent, but when they explode, they really explode. I mean, having children's put me in a state of almost constant sort of seething anger under the surface. <laughs> so I wouldn't say that I explode anymore. I ex- like, if explode is the word, that happens six times a day. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You just have a level of professionalism that you like to keep up, which it says in here. Or maybe it's just your indulgent sensualism coming out again. Uh, He's a communicator too. Yeah, well, that that didn't take much for her to guess that, did it, really? Yeah. You have the communication planet Mercury in Gemini, a star sign that's often prevalent in people in the media, politics, journalism. Right. Yeah. Maybe she knows who I am, so that's that's a bit I mean, it's just a Google away, isn't it? Just a Google away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And a maverick. He's going to walk his own path in life. A trendsetter. Not in that t-shirt. To some extent. Oh, okay. Just put a caveat there. Uh, the planet... Literally just linked- told us about your socks and sandals. <laughs> you, you wait. You wait. We will get so many messages from people saying socks and sandals are brilliant. I'm going to start wearing them from now. And I would have set the trend. Uh, the planet that's linked to technology, future ideas, eccentricity is strong in his horoscope. Next year looks exciting for new projects. Now, okay, now that is classic astrology, isn't it? Next year looks exciting. Like, it's just enough. They tell you just enough to feel like, oh, yeah, she's nailed me. She's got me. I well, am wait. sensual. I am kind. Well, and then <laughs> and then she says, good news is just around the corner. So you can't really disagree with that. Can you? Like, she hasn't said you've had a great year this year or you're having a tough time. Just like, I predict next year will be better. And the thing about well, better is it's a sliding scale, isn't it? Like, it could be exactly the same, but 1% better. And I'd be like, she was right. It's better. But she's given some specifics around this. July and October 2023, Ollie. They are the months that you need to look out for. Whether he wants change or not, it's a time to be open to it. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I can write that in my file of facts, can't I? Yeah. Look out for change. July 2023. Yeah. The thing is, with all of this, is that... uh, I mean, that's just one reading, isn't it? So it's really difficult to know how accurate that is. So what I thought I would do is there is a growing group of uh, astrology apps that you can get. Uh, Charney Nicholas that I mentioned to you before, she's got her own app called Charney. Uh, and there's another one called The Pattern. Now, The Pattern is used by uh, lots of celebrities. And it's basically your daily horoscope, essentially. But it gives you lots of different readings based on lots of different things. Um 
which you can access anytime in the app. 400,000 followers on Instagram. They've got lots of people use this. So I put in your details in this app. You do exactly the same thing. You put in your where you were born, you put in your time of birth and uh, your date of birth as well. Yeah. Don't ever give that app your mother's maiden name as well because then they've got everything. I'm sure they're not harvesting my data. Let's see if they know more about you. So this is it. Let's see if this uh, matches July, up to any 2023 of... 2023 would be Here a good go. time to keep an eye on your bank account. <laughs> Why did you do that weird voice? Like weird, creepy, that's mystical Mr. voice. Don't you remember? Yeah, she that's how it used to be. And the number oh. seven is very special today. That's what she was the, like. The number seven is very special tomorrow. Fun fact about my mum. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love mum facts. Um, she was the face, or possibly just the forehead and hands, of a Mystic Meg-type syndicated column across Europe in the 90s. No! Yeah. That's amazing. So you buy like a tabloid Sunday magazine and they had their bullshit astrologer and it was my mum's face because she's got that kind of look, slightly slanty eyes, sort of a bit mystic looking fringe, fingernails. Yeah. How do you get that job? Jupiter was in the ascending. <laughs> July was a good time for her to apply. <laughs> okay, let's see if any of this marries up to uh, to Sally's one. Okay, At your best, you're at ease with yourself and can take pleasure in your experiences. I mean, doesn't that literally apply to everybody at their best? You can be willing to let go of creature comforts and deal with chaos or even extreme illogical circumstances. But who can't? Who is this not true of? That's the thing, isn't it? Like, all of those things could apply to anybody, couldn't they? We can all get adrenalised in an extreme situation. We can all potentially get very close to someone. Well, what I love is that if you didn't agree with that first paragraph, they then just say, alternatively, you might... You might struggle with intimacy and feel anxious. It might right. be difficult for you to feel comfortable or relaxed. When you try to take it easy, something often disrupts you. You may not feel yeah, safe or know. secure financially or otherwise. Again, that's. I mean, I think that applies to most people. We can all be a bit like that. Maybe not, mm. though. Maybe people who, who really are seeking answers in the way that you were describing, who are using astrology as a crutch, feel reassured to hear that it's destiny. That's it, isn't it? Especially for people that aren't religious. I wonder if that really is it. Like, you know, where people would have would have turned to the church or to whatever their traditional religion was in their family. They now have this as as a thing that feels like it's based on science, even though it's very crudely and loosely based, that makes them think, oh, there's a purpose to the essential meaninglessness of my life. Which, if, you know, if that's what gets you through, rather than, say cocaine and booze then yeah. you know then that's kind of fine isn't it and and i think that's my sort of general feeling about it of what i've sort of found out and discovered it's 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 almost entertainment it's just a bit of it's a bit of fun it's not like you you're going to use it to determine whether or not you should go for a job or whatever are you well i don't know i think people do i think they think oh i won't apply for a job this week because there's no point because of where venus is i do think people think like that but then I suppose equally there's the placebo effect of now is my time. It is July. I was told there'd be a change. Let's go for it. And maybe that helps make change happen. Gives them an excuse and a boost to sort of, yeah, do the thing. Which is why I think for some people it is kind of an, an okay thing. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not bullshit because my instinct is that, I mean, it obviously is, isn't it? I mean, yeah. there's no, like, I don't, absolutely no disrespect to Sally whatsoever. She was brilliant. I just, I don't think there's any merit in it. So this is the thing, right? So you just said you really enjoyed talking to her. 
-hmm. But anyone who makes their living at this, was your sense that she thought it was real? (laughs) I mean, you know, I just feel like you choose to do this as a career. Mm -hmm. Don't you know on some level? But then I think this about priests as well. Yeah, well, I I asked her, are you you the vicar that doesn't really believe in God, but just quite likes the Bible? You know, like it's that sort of... It, you know, she understands that actually some people find some good in it and it is quite useful, but she doesn't actually believe it's a thing. And she was like, no, you know, she really, she, she says, oh, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years and I have lots of sort of evidence that it, it works. Right. Well, October, as you know, Ollie, is a big month for Capricorns. So just as well, we've got a challenge for you for next month. Ooh. It comes from George in Inverness, who says the cost of living crisis is there anything Ollie Peart can do about it? Oh, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, I can fix it for everyone. It just let me, just give me a couple of days. I'll sort that out. No problem. This uh, pithy and glib email from George probably does hint at something that uh, most of our listeners are, are dealing with at the moment, which is bills are going up. Mm-hmm. Um, what can we do uh, to save money? I'd be interested for you to look into some technological solutions for us because I know there's a whole load of like apps out there and websites that can help, life hacks, but I don't know what they are. I'm totally up for this one because I think this is this is the first time ever in my life where I am genuinely worried about how much my bills are going to be to pay for yeah. my house. I mean, it, I do, like properly, hate to sound so serious, but it is just... It's crazy. So I'm well up for looking for ways to try and bring that cost down if I can. I met someone the other day who used to work for Money Saving Experts. Mm. And I, as I said the words to him, I realised I, I was saying to him, oh, yeah, yeah, I used to go there all the time in my 20s. Like when I was trying to save money, I was looking at all kinds of things on there, choosing my bank account and whatever. And then I said, to be honest, you know, I didn't look at it then for another 15 years. I've been able to afford what I want and it's been fine and then suddenly I found myself looking back at that website again in the last six months. So, and I hadn't really thought about it like that till I said it. But I think probably quite a lot of people, you know, not the people who are really struggling with all their bills on a daily basis, but probably quite a lot of people listening to this are a bit like us, where within reason, if you don't have expensive tastes, you've been able to buy what you want. And mm. now suddenly you can't. So, yeah, anything I can do, I will, I'm, I'm going to go at this. I'm going to yeah. try and save our listeners, as much money as possible. I want you to come back next month having said that you've taken, let's let's put a reasonable uh, target, 20% off your monthly bills. How about that? 20%? Using technology. Okay. You need a goal. Okay, I'll see. Yeah? Yep. It's a, good, it's a good goal. Okay. I'm going to write All it right. down. I never do that. And uh, before we say goodbye, though, we must thank our sponsors, Manscaped, who uh, have a new product out. Yeah, product alert. You asked for it and they listened. Our friends at Manscaped just bought out the ultra smooth package to Europe. I did not see that coming. I didn't see that coming. I'm a little (laughs) bit overwhelmed. Uh, But that is right. We've uh, evangelised before about the Lawnmower 4.0, the best electric shaver for your balls. But if you've been looking for a closer shave and you're not in North America, it's been tough titties for a while for you, Mm -hmm. but no longer... Step one in your package is the Crop Exfoliator. It's infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear and uh, keep the skin on and around your groin feeling refreshed. Step two is the Crop Gel so you can see what you're shaving. The unique clear shaving gel just for the groin. It's like a spa treatment down there. And step three, the Crop 
shaver. It's got three precision blades, including an extra-wide lubricating strip and a pivoting head. Yeah, it's smaller and thicker, basically, than an average razor. It's got a comb bar that allows for the best possible shave from any angle, which is important if you're going right down to the roots. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code MAN, that's M-A-N-N, at manscaped.com. That is 20% off plus free shipping with the code M-A-N-N at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. And we thank you, Ollie Pitt. Uh, in a moment, we will introduce you to Robin. But first time for our record of the month, this is the Amazons. They've got a new album out. It's the lead track called How Will I Know If Heaven Will Find Me? You can check out the full song on our Modern Man playlist, modernman.co.uk slash music. As you know, we love telling your stories on this show, particularly when you can offer us a personal perspective on the kind of experience that perhaps is often referenced in the news media, but not necessarily ever discussed in detail. And this interview you're about to hear is one that you could certainly file alongside the episodes we've done on things like abortion and rape and miscarriage, in that Really, it's just one individual's honest recollections of her experience, but it offers some insights you've probably never quite heard before. So a warning that, like in those episodes, we discuss some dark topics here, including describing the moment of a death, because this conversation is about medically assisted dying. What happens when someone close to you chooses to end their life on a particular date at a particular time and invites you along to participate. That's what happened to man fan Robin Farr from Calgary, who wrote into the show asking if she could share the story of her dad's final days. I started by asking her to tell me about her dad. So I would say my dad is the kind of guy who wanted to do stuff for you. He liked cars, but his his thing was really he always bought and sold our cars. So as my siblings and I got into our teenage years um, and even into adulthood, if we needed to sell a car, we gave it to dad. He did the whole thing. He handed us the money. That was just kind of what he was. You know, we loved when he was driving us to school in the morning he would take a detour um, over by the water and he would you know like to look at the freighters the really the big freighters that were out on the ocean and that was sort of one of the things that he did to spend time with us just a few minutes on the way to school uh, when he was quite young he worked as a policeman in Calgary and he you know he walked the beat and did the whole thing and he did that for a number of years and some of the stories that he has from that time I mean they're just classics we've heard them over and over um, the time Pavarotti came to town and was looking for somewhere to hang out after his concert and my dad and, and his police buddies told him where they would be and he he and whoever it was that he was with at the time Pavarotti came down and um, you know and had a drink with them and, I, and, and he was the sort of guy where he, he told these stories and we always had this hint of 
not being entirely sure if they were all true. Um, and his mm-hmm. Pavar- Pavarotti story was one of those. And uh, it, he actually had a newspaper clipping that he pulled out one day. And nope, that was a true story. So uh, there were a lot of those things. But he, you know, he would joke with us about how easy we had it because he had to, you know, ride a pig to school in the snow both ways uphill, all of this kind of stuff. So he was just your typical jokester. And when you talk about police buddies, that kind of paints maybe a picture of someone who's happier in the company of man. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's probably true. He played hockey almost, you know, his whole life. He played until he was in his 70s and, and he and his hockey buddies would go to hockey tournaments. And, and some of those are the stories that we didn't hear, but we, you know, had a, a sense of what probably went on on those hockey tournament weekends, the road trips that they took. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, he definitely did. He, he had he had his guy friends and, and his best friend was a guy that he uh, met on the police force that he was, you know, friends with his whole life. And very physically active then. I mean, so he's got, you know, his whole family doing competitive swimming. Mm-hmm. Then he has a physical job and then he plays hockey for fun. Yeah, so he played hockey, like I say, all his life. And uh, he actually, at one point, he I think he got, he got a puck to the face and broke his nose and he had a bit of a crooked nose as a result. And that was the basis of a lot of his stories. But he always just got back out there. He, he played in a, in a league for a long time and then he played with what they called the Old Timers League when they got over. Um, but yeah, he would get out there and he was a great skater. We used to joke that if he was watching hockey in the basement, we could we could keep score upstairs by both the cheering and the swearing that we could hear coming from him down in the basement. (laughs) And then one day, Robin's dad started coughing. It sort of went from, from coughing to coughing a lot to coughing all the time. Um, And then he started having trouble breathing and um, was becoming winded going upstairs and things like that. So at the time when he first started getting sick, he and my mom were were living in a house um, very close to where my sister lived and not too far from where my brother and I here uh, in Calgary are. And at the time, it was very much um, almost like it had always been going to grandma and grandpa's house. And then the thing that changed was really that my dad participated less. So we would go and my mom would be there and my dad would be in his chair and the kids would come over and um, talk to him or sometimes they'd watch videos with him or sometimes play a game with him, but he wasn't really active anymore. So they had to kind of come into the living room uh, and be with him there. And that was really, you know, you you notice that it it becomes a different dynamic and that was sort of the start of the changes. After seeing a number of different um, specialists, he did see another respiratory therapist at one point. And I guess she said to him, why aren't you on oxygen? Um, And he said, well, nobody's ever suggested that before, but let's give it a go. So he got onto oxygen. So he had a tank. He had a tank. Yeah. So he had a a big tank in his house um, and he had a really long cord and he you know, he could go up the stairs, down the stairs with this cord so that the oxygen was hooked up um, and into his nose. And he had a portable tank that he took with him if he was going out. How was that for him? I mean, as someone who was very physical. It was challenging for him and frustrating, I think, because, you know, not that any illness is fun, but one that affects your breathing, obviously affects, it affects everything. It, it just really takes over your life. So he was really frustrated, um, but he really, he, he was a trooper and he just, he kept on going and 
Um, he was living a relatively normal life for quite a while. Um, and it was actually when he went on oxygen that things went further downhill in a way that I hadn't anticipated. It was almost like he lost all of his energy. He just, he just got sapped and he, um, he just, he had a, you know, he had a big wing-backed chair in his living room and he just sat in his chair all the time. So that was, he was on oxygen for a year before he finally moved into a, um, it was a senior's lodge at that point before going into long-term care. He did get a diagnosis at one point, um, and it was it was something that, that none of us had heard before. Um, and what he told us initially was that he had a rare lung disease called bronchis, bronchitasis, I think is what it's called. But it, it's, it's essentially something that causes shortness of breath that just continually worsens as time goes by. Uh, and I think the sort of um, official diagnosis that I had seen on paper was interstitial lung disease. And I, I didn't, I didn't really know what that was. I still don't really know what it is. Um, I mean, I Googled it after he told us that, but it, it really is just, um, it's just an illness that affects the lungs and it causes severe shortness of breath. And when you Googled that, what did you learn? There were sort of two aspects to it that, that we knew of from him already that it was sort of reinforced. One was it just makes life really difficult. It makes it hard to breathe. It makes the person very tired. Um, it, it's uh, a, a lot of the coughing comes from that. And then the other thing that was really the, the shocking thing and the thing that started having us really think about the future for him uh, was that when he was diagnosed with that, he's, he started to talk about what, how he wanted to manage it because he said people with that condition often essentially choke to death. And that was obviously something he wanted to avoid. So that really got us in the path of trying to understand what this was going to mean for him. That's a very shocking way to phrase it. It is. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's something that I think even now, you, you know what that means. And I still try not to picture it because it, it's just, it sounds horrific um, and not something I don't think anyone would ever want to have, have to risk experiencing. So he said, um, you know, he was telling us about um, the challenges that he was having and how tired he was getting. And what he said was, he, and he said this in an email. So this was how my dad communicated, was if he had anything important to say, it was in an email. So he sent an email to my siblings and I, and he said, um, really struggling and, you know, you know, having hard times breathing and so on. And he said, I'm starting to look into the MAID program, M-A-I-D. And, and I went, what's the MAID program? And I could have Googled it, and I, I probably should have. So I responded to the email. And he replied back and he said, medical assistance in dying. And I just remember going, oh my God, um, because I didn't have that on my radar at all. So if you've been in Canada and you followed this topic at all, it was a number of years ago, there was a woman called Sue Rodriguez who campaigned for this because she had an illness and, and her quality of life was such that she didn't want to live anymore. And so that was really what brought it through the courts and, and became an issue. And I remember in high school, I was on the debate team and one of the topics we were given at one point was euthanasia, as it was called then. And I took the pro position and I argued passionately for it. And I believed that everybody should have the right to make that call if they wanted to, never imagining that it would be an actual um, factor in my own life.
It's only been legal in Canada since 2016, and I would have I would have thought it was much longer than that. So I knew it was mm. out there. I knew that it had been legalized. Um, didn't know much about how how it was done or how often it was being used. So I and I didn't even know it had a name. I didn't know that there was sort of a, a program or a an acronym for it or any of that stuff. So this it it was a lot of um, it was a lot of shock and having to process a lot of stuff all at once. I mean, what's strange is that in a way it gives you certainty where there would otherwise be uncertainty. You know, you know that untreated, he's got a terminal illness that will kill him, but you don't know when. You don't know exactly how, you just have an idea of how. Whereas once he said that that's his decision and he wants to be assisted to die, it comes with answers. It's actually less uncertain, isn't it? it it's a feeling of, oh, I know how this is going to play out. What does that sort of do to you so the certainty was actually the main factor for my dad that was the thing that um i think gave him interest in looking into this option in the first place and it was the thing that i think ultimately led him to making the choice that he did was he knew that he could um, decide when the time was right for him and uh, and make that decision but for you what does the certainty do for you as the daughter so the certainty piece is very um, complicated, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, we really wanted that to be something that he had his choice over, um, his, his wellness and his death, ultimately. And he, um, you know, we, we, we had watched him decline so fast that we really didn't want to see it go any further than it needed to go. We didn't want him to be miserable and uncomfortable. And ultimately, that's what he was at the end of his life. How did your mum feel about it? Well, this is where things got really complicated. Um, so about, I don't know, a month or six weeks before he died, I took him to get his taxes. And I said, you know, we were waiting for them to get done and just hanging out and chatting. And I said, um, have you talked to mum lately? And he said, I haven't seen your mother since I moved out of that house. And I said, what? Um, so I had no idea. And my sort of rule, my boundary for my parents was that when they were sniping about each other, I wasn't going to hear it. We had made that, you know, that, um, that decision a long time ago because uh, it, I just didn't want to be in the middle of any fight that they had. So I didn't get into too much detail with him, but he did say, um, he did say some stuff about the, the, their marriage, and I think he was reckoning with his life, honestly, at that point. He was, he was going back over things and reckoning with the choices that he had made and how they had turned out. So uh, that was sort of the introduction to finding out that my parents had essentially sl split up after being married for almost 50 years. And there was another surprise in store for Robin. Not only had her dad chosen a medically assisted death, he'd also already selected the date. My brother phoned me and I had I had just come home from work and I you know I remember I was standing in my kitchen and he said so dad I've talked to dad and he's made a decision about going ahead with maid and it's a week from today. And I just took this huge intake of air like when you're just so shocked and I just went <gasps> And then I just froze and I don't think I, I didn't say anything for a minute or two. And everything that you can imagine kind of goes through your head in that moment. Um, but it's everything from, okay, that's ridiculous. It can't be a week from today. We have to talk to him to, no, he's made his decision. We, you know, we always told him we would respect his choice to, oh my God, I have a sister that lives in Australia and she's not going to be able to be here. Um, 
I have a sister that lives in Victoria who has a three-month-old baby. Is she going to be able to be here? Um, you know, we needed to get an up-to-date will done because he hadn't done that. So we ended up trying to coordinate that. Um, had a conversation with him about what he wanted to do in his last week. And he only wanted to do two things. Um, he wanted to, this, this, is, this will sum up my dad, this is so funny. He wanted to drive by the house that they had lived in, that he and my mom had lived in most recently. And he wanted to drive over a new bridge that had been built in the town that they had lived in that he hadn't seen yet. And I said, you don't want to drive around or go out to the mountains or, or see anybody else? Nope, I want to see the house and I want to see the bridge. So we said, okay. Who took him in the car to see the house and the bridge? Um, so I did. Um, I took him and uh, my sister, one of my sisters came with me. Um, so I went and picked him up in his at his long-term care place. And he really, he hadn't been out of there since he had moved in a, a month or two earlier. Um, and then um, picked up her and we went and we drove by and he didn't really even say anything. He just, we drove by the house and we paused and... Um, he uh, he had a quick look and then we went and he drove by the bridge and he said, okay, I just wanted to see what it was like. How many days is this before D-Day? This was maybe five days before. I think this was the Sunday before the Thursday. Okay. And by the way, I mean, I'm, you know, sort of facetiously reached for that phrase because actually I don't know what the right one is. What do you call it? What's the day? It was just, it was just at that time, it was just Thursday. And you have, and, and all you can do at the time is count down. It's six days till my dad dies. It's five days till my dad dies. It's four days till my dad dies. What was your dad's mood like throughout all of this? You know what? If you had come across him, you never would have known that he had made this decision and, and that that death was staring him in the face. He was just calm and honestly that was one of the things that I think helped because he was really I guess so clearly at peace with the decision he was just calm and he wanted to figure some things out you know we knew my my uh, sister who lived in Australia was not going to be able to come and, and see him um, but he was still talking to her every day they talked on zoom every day um, my sister in Victoria who you know so we were we we're in Calgary so she's uh, an hour plane right away um, was trying to figure out if she was going to come. She had this new baby who was three months old, so you know, still nursing, still very reliant on her, on her mum. And they made the decision to come, so they got here. And then we you know we we spent some time with them, and 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 uh, he got to meet his last granddaughter, which was really nice because we we weren't sure that that was going to happen. Wow! And yet you must, because you've got that Thursday in your mind, be aware that every minute you're spending discussing the route to get to a particular place on the road or which channel you're watching on the TV or what you're having for dinner is precious minutes of what's remaining. Yeah. Does that colour how you have a normal conversation? It, it really does. Um, for me, I was, you know, I was trying to figure out, do you spend every hour of every day there? Um, and that, and we didn't in the end because it wouldn't really have been been fair to him. He would that would have exhausted him, and we didn't want that either. So we were sort of coming in and out, and um, and you know we did that we did the trip, and then took him took him home, and um, he you know he he was able to rest. My sister went to see him with her baby, and then she she left so he could rest. So we kind of did it that way. But you know, I, I actually think for me, it, it, the first couple of days. I spent kind of rewinding because I, like I say, I was not expecting it to be that soon um, or that fast after he had made the decision. So I started going back and I, you know, I thought about, 
um, he sent me an email on Mother's Day and he was talking about, um, <laughs> now I'm going to cry. Uh, just typical dad stuff. Like he was talking about how proud he was of me and my boys and, um, you know, what he imagined for them growing up. And then when he made this decision, I looked back and I thought that was his farewell email. And I did not see it at all at the time. I really, I should have known that, but I didn't see it. Um, he did the same thing with my siblings. Sent them all, all an email. Um, so yeah, I spent a bit of time rewinding and kind of just trying to process that because it's a lot to process. I mean, the act of someone who chooses that exit, even if it seems like the common sense choice, given your physical ailment, is the act of someone who wants control and maybe finds it difficult in normal conversation on, or, you know, it's a firm decision that you've made and then everyone has to abide by it. It's so interesting that it tallies with the kind of person who would say all the important things in an email. Yeah. Yeah, he, that was, that was really like all of that was just so him. Like he was not the sort of person who was... Um, going to sit with us and talk about this, the decision or how he was feeling about it. Um, I, you know, he just, he wouldn't have wanted to do that. So we, we didn't really, um, you know, we, I, I think actually having the baby come was a, a blessing because it gave us a bit of something to focus on and you can do the, Oh, she's so funny. Oh, look, she's, you know, spitting up whatever babies do that kind of lightens the mood for a minute. Um, and we just did that. And I think tried to, appreciate that he was getting a chance to do some of that stuff um I took I took my two kids in um to say goodbye and that was you know a hard conversation to say this is the last time you're going to see grandpa um and the funny thing about them is you know for most people you talk about medically assisted death and there's all of this kind of you know judgment and stigma or potentially around it um, and they've never really questioned that. That was just a choice that he had and he made it. And okay, that's how my grandpa died. When you say they've never really questioned it, though, there are supplementary questions, aren't there, along the way? There are questions like, okay, I respect that's his wishes, yeah. but does it have to be now? Does it have to be there? Does it have to be next Thursday? Those questions must have been happening between you and your siblings. It was, yeah. So that was kind of the very first thing that we jumped into was, does it have to be next Thursday? And that was really centered around my sister who who lives elsewhere, who who wanted to be able to come and see him. Can you, can you, and it's, and it's hard because you don't want to pressure him or make him feel bad, but it's the sort of like, sort of diplomatic, can you wait, please? So we can sort this out. Is Saturday going to be that different? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and so we sort of talked about that. My brother had that conversation with him. I don't actually really know exactly what he said, but he, he said he would raise it. And my dad just said, no, I would love it if you would come, but I don't want, you know, I, I don't necessarily want you to come because it's the pandemic and I don't want you to be risking you and her traveling. But Thursday is my day. And he, that was just his decision. He had made it. It was final. And then, um, you know, we, we got into sort of the last few days of, of spending that time together. Were you there for your kids' last words to your dad? Yeah. Yeah. What did they say? Um, I, you know, I don't really remember. We weren't there for very long. Um, but they, you know, they said, I love you. Um, I remember what he said, though. Um, 
he just gave them a hug and he said, you guys do good, okay? And I just, you know, oh, I lost it because that was my dad. Um, and I just realized, you know, it's that moment when you realize your dad's not going to get to see your kids grow up. Hmm. Um, but then knowing that he wouldn't anyway. And so this is a time where he can get to say that to them. And, and the alternative would be not knowing when that conversation would have to take place, I guess. And it might never take place. Well, yeah, and that's one of the the real blessings of this is that you do know and you can do, you have that time to do some stuff in those last days. Still to come, Thursday comes around. But have Robin and her family been prepared for the process? When the modern man returns, after this. fans, do you need some style advice? Well, I'm not the person to give it to you, but luckily I know who is. Today's sponsor, Stitch Fix. They're a digital service that makes shopping for clothes super easy. Try it, head on over to stitchfix.co.uk slash man, answer a few genuinely fun multiple choice questions about what's the sort of style, size and colour combinations you like, and then a style expert, an actual human being who understands fashion, goes and gets you some cool clothes and sends them to your home to try on. What I love is uncovering brands and styles that I wouldn't encounter otherwise. For example, I was always told, don't do horizontal stripes, they make you look fat. But in the privacy of my own home, when I tried on the A-frame stretch t-shirt that Stitch Fix sent me, I loved it, and I look no fatter than before, but a darn sight more stylish. You pay just £10 each time you order, which is credited towards the items you keep, and man fans get 20% off when you keep all five items. You can schedule a delivery at any time, there's no subscription required. Get started today at stitchfix.co.uk slash man to get 20% off when you keep all five items. That's stitchfix.co.uk slash M-A-N-N for 20% off when you keep all five items in your fix. Back to my conversation with Robin now, and the focus of her whole family is on Thursday, the day her dad has chosen to die. He's discussed it, he's consented to it, he's firm about what he wants, but how prepared is she and the rest of her family? The health authority here has a um, page on their website about medically assisted death. And it's one page. It's very clinical. It's totally focused on the patient. So this is what happens. This is the process from beginning to end. So you have to have an assessment and you have to have witnesses and all that kind of stuff. So we, at that point, we were going, what, what happens? How is this done? What do we expect? And none of that information was available and we couldn't, we couldn't find it. So I just kind of had to let it go. Um, and I remember Googling, how do you tell your kids? And like Google didn't know either. So. Wow. I mean, I just would have assumed that the facility would reach out to you a week ahead of time and say, this is what's going to happen. No. And that's the thing that still shocks me to this day is we had no contact with anybody. And I have since discovered that that might be not how it's supposed to happen, but it was how it happened for us. I was quite annoyed by that. Like it was, it was really frustrating because we had such a short period of time and yeah. we just had to, we just had to kind of go with it, not having any idea what to expect. So you weren't even sure, you know, who was going to be in the room, you know, was there going to be lunch? Could you park outside? None of that. Nope. No one got in touch with that stuff. 
Yeah, no, so he, he had it done in the long-term care center that he was in. Um, so really the only thing I think that we had to, to sort out was whether they allowed it in there because some, some facilities don't. So we confirmed that they did allow it in there. And that was really, that was really it. Tell me about his last night, the Wednesday. We had, we actually had, most of us had worked during the day. We had, we had let him rest that day and we were going to go over in the evening. So we went over and we just basically stayed there all evening. Um, and he repeated some of his classic stories and we talked about, um, (laughs) a lot of, a lot of that stuff. We just kind of did a, a highlights reel of all of his classic stories. And what's the mood? What's the mood amongst you guys? Because you have to presumably be sort of happy for him, but you're not feeling happy because your dad's about to die, right? I remember feeling like it's really overwhelming. Um, but we just laughed the whole time. And he just, he told his stories and we laughed and it was, honestly, it was, just, it was a fantastic night. Um, but you're still doing the countdown. Like you're still thinking, well, this time tomorrow he won't be here. Mm. Um, so we were really glad we spent, we were there till 10 o'clock and then we thought, okay, we have to go cause he's exhausted. Um, and one of the things they had done was they had given him some Ativan um, just to help him remain calm. Um, and he was, um, he was just, he was not really, like, he was not really functional. He was, he was able to sit in bed, um, but we had to help him get up and use the bathroom before we left. And he really had no strength. Um, so... I think we felt like we had the time with him that we wanted to have. And we also saw how ready he was. Hmm. You know, he, he it, it really, it wouldn't have been fair to expect him to go on living like that. So in that sense, it was reassuring. So we were able to leave that night thinking, he's right, it's time. And were you there on the Thursday? I was there on the Thursday. I woke up really early that morning and threw up. <laughs> that was just, I just got up and oh my God. Um, I've never felt anything like it. So I got up and I threw up and I tried to eat something. And we had made an agreement with my dad the night before. Um, he had told us what he wanted for his last lunch. Which was? Um, he wanted a tuna sandwich with a pickle on the side. And he wanted a chocolate milk and a butter tart with raisins. <laughs> that was what he wanted. And that was that was kind of my dad. I never really known him to drink chocolate milk, but that was what he wanted. So my brother had arranged all of that. And then my one of my sisters was trying to find the butter tarts. And we couldn't find one with raisins in the end. So we had to bring them without raisins. And then um, we had told him that we would um, come in and help him get dressed. Because he wanted to wear a nice button-down shirt and some pants. Um, and he was, you know, living in pajamas and a house coat at that point. So he wanted to put hmm. his nicer clothes on. And we had told him that we would come in and help him get dressed. So I um, drove down there with my sisters. And as we were getting closer, I thought, I cannot go in there without having eaten anything. Because I'm going to just be, I'm going to feel horrible. So I said to them, um, I need to drop you off. I, I, I have to go and find something to eat. Um, and I knew I wouldn't be able to eat in the room because it was just too, it was too much emotion for one thing and it was too hospitally and clinically and I just, I knew I wouldn't be able to eat in there. So I thought I'm going to go and get something in advance. And I started looking for uh, something to eat. So there was a um, Classic Canada, there was a Tim Hortons coffee shop across the street from the, the care home. And I thought I'll just go in there 
and I'll get a tea and I'll get a muffin or something and, and I'll be okay. Uh, and I went in there and there was a, there, there was a construction site next door and there was a lineup out the door of, of construction workers. And I thought, okay, I can't waste, you know, 20 minutes of my dad's last day waiting in line behind construction workers for a, a coffee. Um, so I went next door to the gas station thought maybe they'll have a snack or something in there that I can eat. And, uh, I went in and I thought, no, I don't, okay, I, don't, I don't want chips or chocolate or something sweet or snacky or something. I want like something with at least a little bit of protein that will fill me up and make me, make me feel better, hopefully. Um, and they had hot dogs in there. And I kind of tell you, I never before have had a hot dog from a gas station. Uh, I probably never will not, again. Not the best. Yeah. No. Um, never would have thought I would do that. But I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. And then I got a Coke to go with it, thinking if there's anything in there, hopefully the Coke will kill it. So I sat in my car <laughs> and I ate a gas station hot dog and had a Coke uh, and then went back in. And, you know, the, the procedure was planned for 2 p.m., um, so you, you know, your countdown goes from days to hours. So my dad obviously had talked to them about this with the arranging and he just said the doctor's going to come in at two o'clock and we thought, okay, again, don't know how this works, didn't know anything. So we went in there and we were hanging out and, you know, he had his lunch and we were chatting and I had left my water bottle in my car. So I went down to the parkade to get my water bottle and I was coming back up in the elevator and I saw a doctor who was clearly from outside the facility and I could see her her name tag and I didn't know who she was and I didn't know the name of the doctor that would be doing the procedure but I looked at her and I thought it's you you're coming to kill my dad and that is such a, a weird thing to think because that's not really how I thought about it but um did that feel defensive did you think I don't want you to be here uh, yeah a little bit I think it was more just wow, this is really happening and it's almost time. Because mm. um, it's, I mean, it's just, it's so hard to know how do you, how do you manage the last couple of hours? Right. Um, so I went upstairs and I said to them, I, I think the doctor's here. And that was at about one o'clock. And uh, at one thirty, a nurse came in and she said, hi, I'm here to get things going. And, you know, they had to put a, an IV in. And I was like, no, 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 no. You said two o'clock. It's one thirty. <laughs> yeah. I have budgeted my emotions for two o'clock. Um, so I was really not ready, really, really not ready for that. Um, but your dad was? He was, yeah. He he really was. He was like, hey, okay. And he had taken another Ativan this morning and he was he was all dressed and ready to go. And, you know, he was totally calm. Um, so they just they just come in and they gave him an IV and they, they, they did whatever the port is that they use to administer the medication. And then she left and we... We sort of had this, you know, half an hour kind of countdown. So how was their bedside manner with you and with him? Quite businesslike, I would say. So they came in and they said, um, this is what we're going to do. Um, he's got the, the, the lines in um, and we'll give him one medication that will um, sedate him, I think, essentially. And then the second one is the one that stops his heart. And we went, okay. And so they were, they were just sort of chatting as they got the last few things set up. And she had a little doctory looking kit that had a syringe in it. And so the, the last thing that they do is they ask his consent again. So, you know, she says, mm. again, I'm, however, whatever the wording is, I'm going to ask you, do you choose to do this, essentially? And he said, yes. She said, okay, so I'll, I'll prepare. Um, 
get things going, you know, is there any last story that you want to tell? So he starts telling the story and she gave him the medication and he starts to kind of, he looks like he's going to sleep. So he, you know, as if somebody were falling asleep in the middle of a story, that's sort of what it looked like. And then he would sort of, you know, wake up again and tell a little bit more and then, and then go back. And then um, he actually died in the middle of the story. And the horrible thing was it wasn't a story any of us had heard before. So we didn't even know how it ended. So it was really sudden. Um, and that was the one thing I was annoyed about because I was like, lady, <laughs> don't ask him to tell a story if he's not going to get through the end of it. You know, we just had that moment of realizing, no, he's gone. Um, but yeah, she, and, she, and she, what she said to us was, I, I really didn't, I didn't have to give him very much. He had no reserves left. He was really ready to go. And in some ways that's fine because that was, like if he was going to go, telling a story as you go is probably the perfect thing for him. <laughs> um, and he wasn't the kind of guy who would have had last words or even said last I love you. It's like he just, he had already said what he needed to say. Um, and he was ready to go. So I guess that was okay. And, and the doctor had said to him, don't worry about them. We'll take care of them after you're gone. And at the time I thought, oh, great. Okay, that's good to know. I wonder what that looks like. Um, it didn't look like much, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> they actually, they handed us a one-page flyer that had some supports on it. Um, and I looked at that and I thought, this would have been really nice to have a week ago because um, some of it would have been helpful, but here we are. Yeah. I do find that so extraordinary. Why? I mean, I know that it was happening in 2020, so that's... I, I get it. COVID was obviously a massive disruption. And I know that the people who are literally administering lethal drugs are not the people who are going to sit around and hold your hand, and there's a reason they wouldn't want to get emotionally involved. But I don't understand why there wasn't a structural organisation to help people who are obviously going to be affected by the service they're offering. That just seems bizarre. Yeah, it's really bizarre. I, I still can't believe it. Um, you know, it's, it's new, but not that new, like, you know, 2016, it's been around for a few years. Um, it wasn't like this was something that had happened a handful of times in the time since it had become legal. Like it, it was a, it's a program that's like reasonably well used. And there was just, there was really just nothing. I was so shocked. Um, really nothing. And that's something that you've tried to change. It is, yeah. So the flyer that they had given us had a Facebook group on it. And it was called Bridge C14, which meant nothing to me. Um, but I went in on, onto the group and had a look. And it's a, a Facebook group for people who um, are supporting somebody that's going through this or who have lost somebody to mate. So there's a, a number of people on there um, who had you know, told their stories or had reached out to the group. And that was the first time I had come across somebody else who had been through this. So I got to read some of their stories. And it's that immediate feeling of feeling less alone, which I think is what any of us wants to feel when we're struggling with something, is to not feel like we're alone. I really felt like that made a big difference for me, and I posted my story and, and you know, got the, the condolences from people in the group. Um, and then from there, I got connected to um, another woman in Canada who had started an organization the year before to provide peer support for people going through this. So she had lost her dad um, to a maid death in 2018. 
and um, had found the same thing. So she started gathering group of volunteers. And um, so I'm really heavily involved with the organization now. It's called Bridge for You, Bridge for the letter four or the number four. Um, and it's totally based around peer support. So we have a whole group of volunteers from across Canada. And the thing that is common among all of us is we didn't have any support leading up to the process. And that's why everybody got involved because everybody had the same thought, like, you've got to be kidding me. This needs to get fixed. Yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> but it is, yeah, it is shocking to hear that in a developed country like Canada, that was the status quo. Although, yeah. of course, I'm saying that from a country where we still haven't legalized assisted dying. Yes. And I say still haven't because it feels like that's the momentum probably by the time I might want that in my 70s or 80s, it, it will be something that's on the statute books. But it's extraordinary, isn't it, that it wouldn't be considered the needs of the family at the same time? Yeah. What would, what would you say if, if someone's listening to this and is thinking of assisted suicide for themselves? Sorry, I'm using that slightly outmoded phraseology, but that's probably how most people think of it here. Yeah. And from a UK standpoint, therefore, would be thinking of going to Switzerland. That's yeah. sort of euphemistically what people say. Yeah. What should you be thinking about with regards to your family if that's the decision that you're making? Well, I think there's a couple of pieces. One is, you know, have the conversation with them if you can about what you're looking to do, um, why you're why you're choosing that, and then help them find resources if they can. And and it's the sort of thing where you're never really sure what people are going to say about that. And I'm not somebody who cares. Like I will, I will march up and down the street till the day is done to tell you that this is something people should have the right to. Um, and you can come at me and tell me that you think it's, you know, weak or shouldn't be allowed or should be illegal. And I frankly don't care. It is in place for a reason and the people that choose it need it. And there's a process to make sure that people, um, you know, have been assessed properly and so on. The thing that I have found from talking to people who have been through this is it's really, really helpful to talk to somebody who has been through it. Even if it's not about, you know, what to expect or how many needles are there, just this is what I'm leading up to and my, you know, parent or spouse or partner or child or friend or whoever is, has made, has made this decision. And, um, it's it's just a lot to process. I mean, it's been a year and, and a bit, and I'm still processing it. I still have, um, I still have days where I thought, I wonder if he could have hung on. Robin Farr. If you've been affected by the issues we discussed in this interview, Robin has shared with us a bunch of links for the support organisation she works with in Canada, as well as some international ones as well. Uh, I've put them all up in the blog post for this episode at modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. That's also where you should head to share with us your reaction to that conversation. And also perhaps if you'd like to nominate yourself to share your story on a future edition of the podcast. For all that, just click the feedback form. Still to come, Alex Fox with our monthly trip down the foxhole. After this... It's Foxhole Time, your sex questions answered with Alex Fox. Hello, Ollie. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Uh, I understand that you've recently been on a hike. I went to a place called Bear Mountain, um, which is about... <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds ironically very pornographic, it, doesn't it? Even like the setting. your recreational walking sounds like something <laughs> Sid James would say with a sneer. 
I have to say as well, it was quite camp. Bear Mountain is located about an hour's train ride out of New York. It's this fantastic nature reserve. My partner and I were staying in this lodge where they tried to make everything very rustic and forest themed, which meant that there were bear paws um, it engraved everywhere, including on the headboard of the bed, which just really oh. enhanced that kind of like gay porn vibe. Yeah. A friend of mine uh, who's a stripper and a sex worker, he actually has um, bear paws tattooed onto his nipples. So everywhere I looked, I didn't see foresty goodness. I saw Marshall Arkley's nipple knobs haunting me when I was trying to escape all that. And our question this month comes from someone who has called themselves E. So they're, they're anonymous, but maybe they are from Yorkshire. My partner and I have been seeing each other for just under six months as I write this message. Things are totally wonderful and we have fantastic, mutually satisfying sex. Da, 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 da. However. Always a however. There'd be, there'd be no feature without the however. I started to get a strange, swollen, fleshy feeling in the back of my throat. I wasn't expecting throats. So I consulted my GP who told me I had a strep B throat infection. I took a course of antibiotics and all seemed well until I noticed that flare-ups coincided with my performing oral sex on my partner. As I'm sure you're aware, I wasn't. Streptococcus B, streptococcus, how do you say it? It's like Mary Poppins Streptococcus. Streptococcus B is commonly found in the vagina and anus. I'm now worried about how to tell my partner this, as I really don't want to worry or upset her. But for now, I'm uncomfortable at the idea of going down on my girlfriend. So, Alex, what should I say? I care deeply for her and I feel bad for even being uncomfortable about it. I have labelled my notes on this question, deep throat, because I dived so deeply into this topic. (laughs) But the thing that surprised me straight off the bat Mm. is that he says he's got strep B in his throat. That would be an unusual place for that particular type of bacteria to cause an infection. Yeah. Okay, because usually you're all like, oh, do go and get a diagnosis from your GP. I'm not a GP. Oh, we'll get to that. Don't worry. I'm still going to trot that line out. It's essential. But he said he's consulted his GP. The GP says he has a strep B throat infection, but you, Alex Fox, think not. I I would like to contest whether that is certainly the case. Okay. When we use the term strep, that is the shortened version of streptococcus, which is a whole bunch of bacteria divided into different groups according to how they look, what their shape is under a microscope, and their different chemical compositions. Two of the main ones which cause problems in human beings are group A strep and group B strep. Group B strep is most common in both men and women up the bum. It lives in the rectum and in the vagina. And it can actually be passed in all sorts of ways. Um, Skin contact, even hand-holding, kissing. It it, it moves around in different ways. But the habitat it likes, primarily, that we know of, tends to be the butt and the vagina. Most of the time when it's present there... It doesn't cause many problems. It can can give rise to things like urinary tract infections, but it just sits quite happily around the intestines, the rectum and the vagina of around 20 to 40% of women. It's really common to have it. Mm -hmm. Whereas strep A, its preferred habitat is in the throat and one of its common habits is causing what's known as strep throat, which is an infection that carries precisely the same symptoms that our listener seems to be describing here. You get 
a red throat. It's often um, described as being beefy, like it looks kind of meaty and raw. You can sometimes get some pustules around the back of the throat and the tonsils. So my analysis of what might be going on here is threefold. Labia, twofold. My analysis, threefold. <laughs> Bingo calling with Alex Fox. <laughs> be the case that our listener's doctor just said he had strep throat and he heard strep B or did a Google and the first thing that came up was strep B. So mm. he's accidentally misattributed the letter B here and he was just told he had a strep throat and it's actually uh, A that he has, which would be the most typical type to cause that that, that kind of custom soreness that okay. he's describing. This correlation that he seems to be noticing that every time he goes down on his partner, he gets a sore throat. If that was strep A, I would be surprised that he was contracting that from her vag because it doesn't we usually like to live there. Hmm. But I did find a medical paper which described how strep A can quite commonly cause uh, vaginitis or inflammation of the vaginal area in prepubescent girls. And this writer believes that this is actually a more prevalent problem for older women as well. It may be that she does have a strep A infection that's either being misdiagnosed for her or simply ignored yeah. that needs treating so that he can stop getting it back in his throat. And fold two, my dear Watson. <laughs> Love this for us. Now, strep B, which, as we've ascertained, usually is around the ass and the vag, can actually live in the throat. And again, I found another study, this one from 2002, uh, that examined heterosexual college couples and did find there were the same strains of strep B being passed via oral sex from women in their vagina to men in their throat. So we know there is evidence that this strep B can pass via that route. It, it can pass via that passage. Strep B would, would usually not cause any symptoms in the throat. It, it might take up residence there, but it wouldn't usually give you that sore, beefy feeling. Our listener, though, he might be one of those people who is either um, more rare or simply less well-documented uh, who gets an inflammation from strep B when it's present in his oral cavity. Um, there is also a third option, which is because strep A is such a common throat infection, his doctor may not have actually tested for it. She might have had a look in his mouth, gone, oh, you know, it, it, it looks like you've got a typical sore throat. Here's some antibiotics. Um, go away and, and make yourself better. It might actually be that there's something slightly more complex or unusual going on here. For example, maybe uh, he contracted oral thrush if his wife does have uh, a yeast infection. Well, uh, none of I'm this just... sounds like it's any more comfortable to discuss with her, let's be honest. I mean, <laughs> well... if that's the thing he's worried And the point is, he's put two and two together, hasn't he? He's noticed when I give oral sex to my partner, I have this flare-up in my throat, whatever it is. You know, he's seen the link and he's uncomfortable about raising that with his partner because they've only been going out for six months. Both of these people need to go and get examined by their doctors and thoroughly. Um, I think he needs to maybe raise the idea with his doctor that perhaps this is strep, perhaps it's something else and really describe the scenario of what's going on here. Not only will I think finding out the facts help them both feel more comfortable because at the moment he's sort of I think part of his discomfort might be coming from the idea that he he doesn't really 
know what he's dealing with here. And, that, and it sort of feels like an accusation, doesn't it? Oh, mm. I think that you're infecting me with something. Presenting this as a responsible and caring thing to do, to, to look after both of your, um, the health of both of you, the well-being of both of you, is a loving thing. It's not, it's not a nasty thing that he's doing here. It's, it's really, it's essential for both of them to find out what's happening. I would also add that there's an extra layer of importance for her to find out whether she is a carrier of strep B. Because if you fall pregnant under certain rare circumstances, when you go into labour and birth your child, if your baby contracts strep B on the way out, it can, in certain rare cases, cause really, really serious complications and can even kill babies. So knowing whether or not you're a carrier of strep B might be very important to you if you're considering getting pregnant or are already pregnant. So that's another reason why it's a caring, loving, deeply responsible thing to speak about this with his partner. There should not be any moral or romantic judgment about raising the idea of whether or not you and your partner have a health issue. You're not saying that they're dirty and disgusting. You're not saying that you don't fancy them anymore. You're two adults having an adult sex life. Therefore, it's totally normal that you may need to sometimes have adult conversations about associated adult subjects. This is a grown-up, decent thing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to do what literally are the words though because you know what you're trying not to say is anything accusatory what you're trying not to communicate is i'm worried that your vagina has given me the mouth pox but what are you <laughs> saying like literally what words do you say i think starting off by saying i feel really uncomfortable about having this conversation but i care for you and so i feel Ooh, like it's good. the responsible thing to do yes i spoke to um a great therapist called Sarah Berry a while ago who said that often when people come to sex therapy sessions, they're trying so hard to be sort of polite and, and to manage their own discomfort that it gets in the way of them being honest and sometimes just naming the awkwardness, just like yes. <laughs> just just acknowledging that this isn't this isn't pleasant. It might be the right thing to do. It doesn't mean that it feels great. So just just actually saying, I feel really awkward about this. So I'm, I'm sorry, but I, because I care for you, and because I want our love life to be as best as it, as it can, and because I want us both to be healthy, uh, I need to talk to you about something. Make some notes beforehand if that helps you be more confident, because it's really common that, you know, when people get the jitters, they might lose their thread. So Having some stuff written down can help you feel more prepared. Maybe having some resources so that you can say, oh, here's the NHS page on Strep B. This is a common thing. Look, here's the facts. I'm mm. not just pulling this out of the air. I haven't gone away, fretted and invented this problem in my mind. Here's the reasons why I think that we need to, to investigate it. Um, it is tough talking about health matters, but 
I know that I would always, and have in practice, always more appreciated a partner bringing this up with me than not saying something which could damage both of our health uh, and possibly our relationship further down the line. Sound advice. Uh, if you have a question of sex, head over to modernmanwithtwoends.co.uk and fill in the feedback form. Alex, see you next month. It's been a treasured pleasure as ever. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this episode of The Modern Man, but there is just time to downgrade a Manbassador. I know, extraordinary scenes. Uh, Nick, for six years, our Manbassador for Queensland, Australia, has been in touch and he says, Ollie, I would like to be downgraded to Manbassador for the lovely town of Toowoomba, as I don't think it's fair that I get all of Queensland. I'm quite sure that other people that live in Queensland would like to be ambassadors for the towns and cities they live in. Thanks heaps for the great show. I still love to listen when I'm on the road. Listen, Nick, if you want to cede some territory, that's up to you. Yes, I now pronounce you ambassador for Toowoomba. So if you would like to become ambassador for Queensland as a whole or some other place in it, now is your chance. Buy us a beer, drop us a line, links on the website. Until next time, our theme music is by Django Django. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill. And we'll see you with something new on October the 10th. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.